on this bonus episode of Progressive Palaver, the group tries to catch up on their mailbag. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this bonus episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friend Paul Zotter as we try to catch up on our COVID correspondence. Welcome to uh, September of 2020. Wow. I can't believe, <laughs> I cannot believe that 10 months have blown by since our last mailbag episode. <laughs> <laughs> and it's but not for the lack of mail. It is not for the lack of mail. We have had a tremendous amount of correspondence this year, and we thank all of you um, for your correspondence. Um, 2020's been pretty freaking weird, dude. Uh, not gonna lie. Yep. <laughs> so, Indeed. you know, we've, we've been, uh, you know, we've been trying to, you know, sort of maintain our normal lives in terms of, you know, those of us who are fortunate enough like us to work from home, um, as well as keep the podcast going. 2020 has seen a tremendous amount of effort on the Pink Floyd catalog as we mm. gear up for our episode 100 extravaganza. And, um, and then obviously all the other, you know, secondary stuff that goes along with that. So a lot of people have been listening. A lot of people have been communicating to us. I know I have not been particularly, um, good at, at responding and, and I apologize, but here we are to sort of catch up as it were on all of the correspondence, or at least, you know, the highlights of the correspondence, but, you know, let's give credit where credit is due. Um, to all of the correspondence that we have received since our last mailbag. And also, by definition, all the correspondence we've received since the global pandemic began. <laughs> and we've all been sitting at home, um, you know, consuming Netflix and podcasts and whatever else it is that we consume. Yeah, a couple of updates of what, of, of what we have and haven't done. Um we have still not figured out how to individually respond to a message on the Progressive Palaver Facebook page. So whether it's any of us replying, it comes back as Progressive Palaver. So we still have to sign our comments back to uh, people as either, you know, dash Ken, dash right. Paul, you know, et cetera. Um, that's one thing. That's one thing that we haven't quite figured out. I thought there was something else that we did figure out, but it's already escaped my mind. So when uh, when that comes back to me, I will let you know. Well, we did figure out, and it has nothing to do with correspondence, but we did figure out what the uh, what the live portion of the episode one hundred extravaganza is going to be, which is that that's that's been a long time coming. So I'm I'm excited for that. Hopefully, our fans will be excited for that, and I think that should be a pretty good event when it happens. I agree. I'm. I can't wait, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, we uh, we get a lot of uh, participation from the crowd uh, during during that. 
yeah, that that should be interesting, and and I think we can we can sort of uh, you know maybe encourage that beforehand. But as mentioned at the top of the show, it's been literally ten months. November was the last time apparently you and I recorded a mailbag episode, which honestly it shouldn't be too shocking. I think we're we average you know anywhere from six to twelve months per mailbag episode. That's just you know, the way things go. So if nothing else, we're semi-consistent. Exactly. Exactly. But, uh, you know, and, and it's hard to even remember, you know, what was going on at the end of, of 2019. And as I recall, at the end of 2019, we were based on some of the emails that I have from that time frame is we were finishing up our Genesis catalog and a lot of people were anxiously awaiting the release of episode 66, which um, covers the lamb lies down on Broadway. It, it was published out of order due to technical issues with that. Um, but I'm happy to say that once it was released, it, it's actually performed exceptionally well. It, it's amazing. Are we allowed to share with because because this was the subject of a lot of mail that we received prior to <laughs> to the last episode, and to the point even where. Um, when I when I actually met in person Brian O'Sullivan, <laughs> and and we we started talking, he literally made a point of asking me about like, are you guys ever going to get around to doing the landmark <laughs> on a Broadway? And I was like, yes, we we've actually got it done. Um, so it's been this big mysterious production, and the way that it ended is is a very happy ending, as you said. So would you care to share with with the, with the listeners as to what exactly happened and what you had to go through in order to make that episode happen. So, so what happened and, and there are some peculiarities about the software that I use to record the progressive palaver. It's actually, it's actually a software for recording video and it records your desktop. And if certain protocols aren't followed, um, sometimes things don't work out quite right. So fundamentally, what occurred at the end of that of that episode, as I saved it, is I had you guys, but no recording of me at all. Ooh. And you know, a as anyone who listens to the palaver knows, I do an awful lot of talking. <laughs> so, so what I had was was whatever notes that I had for that, whatever, you know, you know, dust motes were rattling around in my brain, lots of blank space, and then your guys' responses or inputs. And so what I ended up doing, I ended up re-recording every, every part of me that you hear on episode 66 was recorded literally months after the fact, as I figured out how to quote unquote seamlessly, you know, record myself and edit it in there, um, as well as try to sort of reconstruct the flow of the conversation that was going on. So that's that's how episode that's why episode sixty six was so long in in coming out and that's that's what happened. It's an amazing story because I remember when you when you gave it to us to QC and I listened to it, I remember going like scratching my head and going Damn, I wonder what happened that made this so hard to edit. It seems just like a regular episode, just like all the others. 
And then when you explained what you did, I was just like, oh, gosh, you got to be kidding me. Well, and, and, and the, the even dirtier secret is that's not the first time that happened. <laughs> so so we, we've, we've flubbed a couple of recordings in the past. Um, I remember specifically the first time that I did it was the Going for the One episode. Yes. We re-recorded that as a group, and it just never quite captured the same energy. Right. And um, famously, I screwed the pooch on the Rupert Hine interview, which to this day you know, just pains me. Um, but actually the episode on from Genesis to revelation suffered the same thing and was constructed in the same manner. Wow. But at the time there was, we were, we were sort of on a, we had a, a decent buffer going and there was a hiatus before we started that, that segment. So basically that hiatus just sort of incorporated what needed to be done in order for me to re-record my portion. Um, but I will say the manner in which I, I edited that episode was way different. Um, I got much better at it. And, and the way that I reconstructed episode 66 was, in my opinion, um, much better. But there, it, like I said, it, it happened, you know, there was time pressure at that point. So that's why it, it had to wait until I could get around to doing that. So amazing well well done yeah. joe and uh, well thank you i'd love to hear if anyone uh thinks to themselves out there yeah that episode did seem a little wonky uh i don't know yeah i don't think so i don't think so so it's it, the reason why i bring that up is it's one of the first things that pops up in my in the email inbox as around that time and it's actually from late december is dan sherman talks about uh the the subject is lamb found exclamation point uh-huh. and he has he has a, a picture from the um the symphonic genesis album and there's there's a picture on, on the uh i believe it's on the back of so of the uh, the guys from genesis with a, a an actual lamb uh-huh. there. so he was uh he was kind of busting our chops about that but um but round about the time that we did our, our last episode, um, Bob Keeley provided us some some thoughts on um, the Mark Anthony K um, episode that we had done, talking about um, you know yes playing you know some things from heaven and earth um, while playing close to the edge and fragile in concert, playing them backwards so that roundabout could finish the show. And an interesting point that he makes here, I guess we were talking about um, how to replace Steve Howe at that point. Uh-huh. And um, and Bob's uh, suggestion is Bumblefoot. And he says, listen to the Prague Report interview with him. Amazing. So I, uh, I definitely agree with that. About this time, um, Joe Cottrell joined the uh, the Friends of the Palaver family. Yes. And um, yeah, so he was, you know, he, he found us through our crossover with the Yes Music podcast. And um, he says, a bit of perspective, I first heard Yes, I think, around 1974. So I would have been about 14 years old. And it was, he says, brace yourself, Joe, the ancient side of side three of Tales from Topographic Oceans, which remains my, brace yourself again, favorite Yes album. <laughs> <laughs> so... So you know, as we, I think we've we've uh, we've 
thrown around the idea of potentially roundtabling tales from topographic oceans. So if we do that, maybe we can uh, maybe we can bring Joe on board or, or get his input there. He says his first Yes concert was in 1976 on the Relayer tour, which that's absolutely phenomenal. Wow! And um, he he um, you know he shares some some thoughts on seeing Yes on the 90125 tour, and um, yeah, it just it, it, it's it's absolutely amazing, sort of the the rich history that he has with, uh, with yes, you know, and, and that's, that's the kind of thing that I absolutely love when we get, you know, to hear of, you know, these people have these experiences that we didn't get to have, um, at, at the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, Joe actually made a lot of, of comments as we were going through with, um, Genesis, uh, little snippets about lore that, you know, um, I, I one that I seem to remember the two things that kind of stand out for me was he 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 provided some lore around the wind and withering and about the album cover and where it was positioned in the catalog like it was the absolute middle of the of the catalog um, and he's uh, always always providing some nice little tidbits and the most patient man uh in the friend of the palaver group who i think he waited about six months for his mug to, to arrive because i believe i i said oh i'll send you a mug right around the holidays and then and then completely forgot and then COVID hit and then like later on i realized oh my gosh i can't believe that i never sent this so um so thanks for waiting joe absolutely so he also sent us a, a fascinating email um later on um it, in December, you know, do you remember when we talked about, uh, I believe it was on Then There Were Three, the uh, the Nemo song? Yes. So so Nemo actually um, is, I guess, is or was some sort of cartoon yes. in, 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 uh, in Britain. And so he provided us some, some, some photographs of them. And specifically, uh, you know, one's illustrating specific lines from the song which i just think is is uh yeah you know it, it's 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 very interesting so this is probably a good time <laughs> to share with the listeners that some of you may have noticed that facebook has recently gone through a user interface update and for whatever reason facebook decided that notes were no longer a good idea like the concept of of notes which were perfect for show notes because you know you have a page and you've got notes and that's where you can blog and do things so uh that was the perfect and the other perfect thing about notes was that you could create notes as drafts and you could save them for literally months on end before you publish them so all of this change took place right after animals uh show notes were published and when i went in to search for the wall show notes i realized that all of my drafts were gone and <sighs> and so all of the show notes are gone and so uh, i the the greatest thing is that a lot of our listeners post things right to our wall and and share it with the, the rest of the progressive palaver community but until i figure out where the the blogging feature is on on facebook i my show notes are are quite pathetically lacking so um, 
So I have to take that as a takeaway from this episode because I don't want to be a slacker anymore with the with the show notes. Um, so so that is uh, where it is with the show notes. Okay. At some point, we may actually have to have a website, but I'm I've been avoiding that uh, at at all costs. So moving on, uh, we've already mentioned um, friend of the palaver, Bob Keeley. He did weigh in in January. <laughs> After we did our Rick Wakeman concert uh, special concert series episode with Ken Fuller, and he he thanks us for that episode and he appreciates the Beatles shout out and he quotes I am as I write this one week into a three week course on the Beatles that I am teaching at Calvin University in Michigan. We meet daily for three hours every day for fifteen days in January. This is something like the seventh year I've taught this course. Doesn't that sound like fun? Seriously. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I think in that, or at some point in, in the palaver, we have mentioned, thought about, or threatened, um, you know, maybe some discussion on, you know, the Beatles and their influence with regards to um, certainly music as a whole, but, but specifically progressive rock. I think, uh, I think Bob's going to be a, a resource there. I like it. I like it. And then, um, you know, I'm just I'm scrolling through the uh, the email here. So in February, um, Jonette McGouch showed up in in our correspondence. Now, this was uh, Jonette is someone that I guess you have met in person, Paul. Yeah, Jonette and I are good friends. Um, she is uh, the mother-in-law of Tim Mudgett, who is the guitarist for Green Eggs and Jam. And oh, awesome. Okay. I met her through... Green Eggs and Jam, and we have uh, definitely connected on our uh, joy and love of music and, and the arts. So, so like I said, Jonette first shows up in, in February with our, our Star Wars episode at that point. Hmm. But she has provided an ongoing commentary um, of, of virtually everything that we have done. She is very familiar with the Pink Floyd catalog. We sort of turned her on a little bit, I think, to Toad the Wet Sprocket yeah. in our little mini uh, segment on that, which was very nice. And, I mean, she always has really, really in-depth thoughts and, and commentary on each of the episodes. So we very, very much appreciate uh her input even if we even if i don't return her emails very often so my apologies Jeanette, but we do uh we do read them and um you know share them amongst ourselves and it's you know your 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 insights are always very welcome very nice i uh Jeanette herself is a writer and i don't know that she has published uh her writings as of yet but i know she's working on it so stay tuned for that I think the other thing is I think it was suggested and it's possibly true that Jonette may be able to help us pull off the Palaver Reads Shakespeare episode that we right. pontificated. So <laughs> we definitely need to do that. I I think we should aim for that being a an end of the year celebration. I like that. That could be it. I like it. You know. We get through the uh, the episode 100 extravaganza, and you know we sort of do that on the side. I think, you know, it, just looking at some of Jonette's emails, I like the fact, you know, much like me, she was not familiar with um, Piper at the Gates of Dawn, mm. and um, you know, so it's it's always nice when we get to sort of expand um, 
you know, a listener's horizon and, and, you know, they can provide us some, some input as well. So I think that's great. So I don't remember Joe if so another, another person who, and I think I know why sometimes in my mind, um, I, I, uh, I interchange these two, but another person similar to, um, uh, Joe Cottrell that you were talking, mentioning is Jerry McDermott. Who, I was just looking at a Jerry McDermott uh, email. So he, yeah, he's got a lot to share, and and I don't even remember if this was part of the last mailbag episode. I, you know, I think one of his most, you know, one of the coolest things he sent was when he sent us some of the feedback from the the Marillion uh, friends from the orchestra mm-hmm. uh, show. Um, but he he is a consistent contributor to the comments of of the postings and. Um, always has some really stellar insights about like what was happening at the time. Right. It's he, it's very cool. So he <laughs> round about the time of our, our Piper episode, he shared with us a story of, of him and, and some friends seeing the, the delicate sound of thunder tour in London in 1988 and apparently the day after the show, he had a literal run-in with Richard Wright on the streets of London and didn't recognize him. And Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so to quote him, by the time I realized my calamitous error, he had disappeared, I assume, into the embankment tube station. He must have thought I was a right ignorant bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Now that sounds like something that I would totally do. So <laughs> I feel your pain. <laughs> that is spectacular. That is spectacular. One of the thing one of the things I forgot to say about Jerry McDermott, he was actually the one who turned us on to the Sea of Tranquility's ranking of Studio Marillion albums, which is oh, awesome. Which is which is what inspired us to do uh the ranking of the albums, which I'm nice. literally, literally in progress of editing. So, um, and, and, and many, and also responsible for many hours of hair pulling YouTube watching. Cause I just, I don't land with Pete on too many things that he's talked about, at least that I've seen on, from the, um, sea of tranquility. No offense. You know, but like you said with that, he, he pulls no punches and he is who he is and he likes what he likes and he's, straightforward about it so you can at least respect it you have to respect it absolutely yeah so this was this was one of my absolute 100 percent favorite emails you know it's one of those things sometimes sometimes you see a subject line in an email and you just can't wait to open it so so guy d um sent us an email and the the subject line is heaven and earth you asked for it and <laughs> so, uh, you know, he, he gives a, as a very unfiltered view of, of his thoughts. So then comes heaven and earth. I really wanted to like it. I really tried to like it over multiple listens in multiple listening situations. In general, it is just the dirge like tempo that never lets up. That is its major downfall. Joe said it, by the end of the first song, you were so anesthetized that you don't care. The lyrics are positive and uplifting, but I don't care since the music doesn't grab me. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, 
Yeah, he, he goes on. He actually gives sort of a step-by-step um, rundown of most of the songs. <laughs> wow. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty... Um, he finishes up the last paragraph. I'm just looking at it. All in all, still one of the worst things this band has ever done. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yeah, there you go. Pretty transparent. That's the way we like it. That is Indeed. The way we like it. Moving into to May, we were contacted by uh, by Eric. Eric's a it was a great email. Very happy to, to hear this. And um, I just wanted to say that I came across your podcast by pure chance while I was searching for some Marillion content. So you're going to be very very pleased when we go back and visit Fishmart current palaver style, which means lots and lots of lure and talking. <laughs> and, um, and he says, I was wondering any chance you'd ever do another Marillion episode where you look at live albums, videos, been purchasing many of their Blu-rays recently. And the reason I bring that up, it, traditionally we at the palaver have shied away from live albums for various, um, completely arbitrary reasons of our own. But, Right now, as Paul and I are recording this in the in the very first part of September, we are in the middle of the Marillion Couch Convention weekend. And before we were on air, we were discussing how enjoyable that has been to sort of, you know, force yourself to schedule some time to sit down and watch these things in their entirety and, and you know, interact. Not that I'm a big fan of interacting on social media, but I was moved enough yesterday to actually post on Instagram, which I have not done in probably three years at this All point. Right. <laughs> but I was, I was so caught up in everything. So while I don't anticipate that we will actually cover any of these live albums in depth in the, on the palaver, they are, you know, this experience in watching them as part of the couch convention has been exceptionally wonderful. And tonight is the, the last night where they will be showing the Brave Live in 2013, which I have gone on record many times as saying when Paul and I, used, when we saw this in Montreal, the single best concert experience of my life, bar none. Yes. It, it's a, it's been it's been an amazing it's what a great idea, and like you were you and I were saying, it's so silly when you consider the fact that we could have been watching these videos any old time we wanted to, um, but there is something magical about the fact that they have taken this opportunity and literally gotten about what it appears to be about six to seven thousand viewers who just are scheduling time on their weekend to watch this together. Yeah, and it's it's th that community aspect of it has been brilliant. But I mean, isn't hasn't hasn't Marillion always been on you know the cutting edge of this sort of stuff? I mean, the the Marillion conventions. I don't know of anyone else doing that specifically, and they've got them you know yeah. on multiple continents at this point. So it makes perfect sense to me that they would sort of figure out a way to to extend that and, yeah. and adapt it for the current circumstances. It's absolutely brilliant. I it, love Marillion. It is. I mean, Rick Springfield does have the Rick Springfield cruise. I mean, I, I'm <laughs> sorry. No comment. So Joe, before we launched into Pink Floyd, we, we did take a detour into Toad the Wet Sprocket, which I was so glad that we did. And I, I thoroughly enjo enjoyed in retrospect, 
like how have, have those episodes performed o- o- overall compared to all of the others? Are they are they like a, setting new uh, new thresholds for the bottom of the of the stack? So traditionally, the the bottom of the stack has been the latter part of the King's X catalog. Yes. So just looking at it right now, and we only did um, we only did two episodes of of Toad the Wet Sprocket. Oh, Toad, yes. They are both um, hovering right at around two hundred episodes, which is you know not out of the realm of possibility. Now, if I scroll down to the traditional yardstick and look at so no no they are outperforming the king's x catalog significantly okay so i think episode 23 probably i mean there are there are others that have fewer plays but episode 23 is probably our oh no episode 24 that's King's X Part Five, uh, Manic Moonlight and Black Like Sunday. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, that that one is not uh, well, not generating a lot of buzz. Well, the the reason I ask is because one of my all time favorite comments uh, that we've ever received came to the episode seventy seven show notes, which was Toad the Wet Sprocket Part One, Bread and Circus. Pale and fear. Fear. Yeah. And it was from Jim Allen. And he writes, and I believe that we had a slight hiatus prior to publishing Toad the Wet's Brocket. So we, we hadn't really. Yes, we did. Very much. And, and he writes, OFFS, which I believe is for fuck's sake. <laughs> I believe it is. <laughs> We've been waiting for months. And all we get is Toad the Wet Sprocket? <laughs> he goes, hey, I like them too, but come on. Let's harden up, guys. <laughs> oh, that's that's fair. That is fair. <laughs> and, and I think that's partially why we kept that to a two-episode uh, two short segment before yeah. we got in to to Pink Floyd, but but again, you know, by all accounts, the uh, the, the Toad to Wet Sprocket episodes are performing well enough. It's Absolutely, good. it's good to know. And I have to say that in, along those lines, I we so Bill Kimler is a is a consistent contributor to uh, the Facebook uh, comments and posting things and suggesting things, and and um, he had a lot of fun. Uh, pictures to share when we talked about uh, Genesis concerts and and Yes concerts. Uh, I, I feel like he's he's one of our contemporaries, if you will, from a from an age perspective. He uh, at the end around the end of March, you know, he sent us a nice message with a, a picture. It was the cover of the famous uh, King Crimson album with a character with a face mask on, and and he wrote, "Stay safe." Progressive Palaver team, your country needs you in this time of crisis. Um, I enjoy that because uh, similar to to um, to that, we you know we get comments from uh, folks that during these times when we're sort of on hiatus, they they make questions like, "Hey, I just noticed you haven't had a podcast in like a few months. Did you guys quit doing this? Are you still doing it? Because I'm happy." <laughs> 
and um, it's it's so appreciated and um, and 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 just very nice. And it's just as always like, you know, I'll just take the brief moment to say it's always great that that people think of us, you know, with something yeah. silly like I think Rush released permanent waves earlier a, re- a redo of permanent waves or maybe a redo of hemispheres and and uh joseph olin i'm sorry if i'm um, not saying his name correctly joseph olu Nikki just quickly dropped hey look here's the billboard top 100 it looks like russia's charting again i mean it's just fun that people think of us and with you know off-handed things that happen it's very, very yeah that, that is it is nice to sort of you know be you know, plugged into the greater context. And it, you know, I think that's something that I, I would have never anticipated when we started this. So it is, it's very welcome. And uh, yeah, it's, it's fun that we're sort of, you know, building a little bit, you know, a, a small community, but a community nonetheless. So very much looking, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Even the latest in, in Ryan Bogash in July, did we go through a drought in July? There, there was there was a small drought in uh, in late June, early July. Because okay. yeah. he posted, he said, "Hey guys, I've noticed you haven't had a podcast in about a month. I enjoy going through the back catalog, so I don't know uh, if you had mentioned in the more recent podcast that this was over." <laughs> so like, I was like, oh, man, it's good. We're still doing. Well, I mean, it, it 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 is. It's a it's a valid question, right? Because I mean, we've all gotten into podcasts, and they just sort of, you know, at one point go away. It. It's not an insignificant effort to to you know put this sort of thing together, and a lot of you know a lot of the time where we 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 here at the Palaver run into problems is you know just in terms of you know if if the day job gets overwhelming and you you know you have a week or two where you just don't have the time or energy to edit an episode, you know things can sort of pile up on top of you. So yeah. Um, and it, you know, sounds like, it sounds maybe like we're being a little lazy, but I mean, imagine <laughs> we've already lived through this stuff at least one time. And now we got to go back and listen to it again and cut out all the controversial stuff and, and uh, other all the, things. So, all all the, the sniffles and the flubs. And, and, and Pink Floyd was hard because Joe kept going off on Roger Waters and we had... <laughs> so should we, should, we, should we create our own sort of little... Uh, legend and, and and talk about the the unpublished pre-show yeah basically <laughs> where, the where i lost that, my business that, that took the pre-show off the air before it even even got legs <laughs> oh poor roger i feel bad roger. you know i did give him you know when we we talked earlier about me posting on instagram you know the the us one of the us and them posters from my palaver wall was featured very prominently in that image. So you know Roger gets his airtime from me too, even if I give him crap. He sure he sure does. That was a pretty. Um, <laughs> uh, we have a little snippet on the outtake of the final cut episode, so there's a little bit of insight to to. Uh, but yes, there was definitely a pre-show rant that I mean <laughs> that was. That was so, so vitriolic. I felt obligated to record an apology the next morning in case you actually published yeah. it. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I mean, at that time, the pre-show was so was so far back because, you know, the, the pre-show, the idea of the pre-show was that it's the, the 10 minutes of banter that happens before we actually start. There's usually some fun little parts in there. But then almost as soon as we started recording that, that segment... <laughs> 
we, it started becoming like a, a, us just standing around like saying stupid shit that we didn't really and so it actually ended up becoming more difficult to to edit those because there was video involved and you know i was basically taking a 35 minute pre-show and trying to encapsulate it down into like nine minutes and sometimes they were just flat out boring but that particular night we Roger Waters had put in a rant out on on Instagram about how Pink Floyd wasn't promoting him or giving him access to whatever it was, and Joe just lost his shit, and <laughs> and you went on and on, and we were laughing on mute, and 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 I, it was so funny, and then we went and recorded the episode. And then the next morning I wake up and in my, in the, in the chat is a video of you like all primmed and proper with, with a, like a legitimate and, and heartfelt apology. And, and I just was like, I, I'm not, I can't do this. I can't do this. No. Well, I, I fully expected to be, you know, overruled and, and, and the group as a whole saying, we got to put this out. This is gold, but uh, you know, whatever the case may be. So maybe someday <laughs> <laughs> all, all that fun aside. And actually it kind of fits right in. So going back then uh, more recently in the email, when we were dealing with animals and the, the issue of the eight track version came up in that episode hmm. because it, it apparently had the, the single song version of Pigs on a Wing. Yes. And so we were talking about it. So our, our friend Bob Keeley weighed in and he says, I'm listening to Animals Part 1 and one of you, sorry, I can't remember who, asked if songs sometimes switched in the middle in eight tracks. The answer is yes. <laughs> and he, he proceeds to sort of explain, um, you know, how eight tracks would work. And he said, I never had an 8-track because it was a terrible idea, but my cousin, who I shared a ride to my summer job with, did. And if memory serves, which it might not, it was a long time ago, um, we would listen to the first America album together and had a track that was split. That, that must have been annoying as all get out. I can't even imagine having to, uh, to deal with that. It's like when you're watching a performance YouTube video and it stops for an advertisement. It's like... Oh, that's the worst. Most recently in the email, Jonette has been providing her her thoughts on our mega three-part episode on The Wall. I can't believe we talked for that long on that album, but I guess maybe I shouldn't be surprised. I I, I don't know. I kind of feel like it, it's not that surprising. Well, that's okay. I'm going to go back in time because I, I moved over to the Twitter stream. Okay. Back in January, Jerry, again, um, shared a a playlist with us, which was Vintage Rush, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, and and Merlion. Wow, this is fascinating. So here's, here's, here's a portion of this playlist. It goes from Cashmere, the 1990 remaster, to 2112, wow. to Neverland, to Rainbow Stargazer, to Merlion's Grendel, to Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is, uh, that's quite a playlist. Going back in our time machine then to the end of 2019, one of the highlights for for me, certainly, was the crossover episode with the Yes Music podcast. Right. And so Mike O'Connor had tweeted in January that obviously the uh, at Yes Music podcast crossover with um, at Prague Paula has been an influential success as online streaming radio is finally playing cuts off of Yes's Tormato. Uh -huh. so, so Alan Begg um, shared 
that, uh, you know, back in, in April that he was happy we had started the Pink Floyd catalog. And he says, like us, he was pretty ignorant of the early stuff. And so he had a bit of trepidation about going to see Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets. Mm. But he did go and really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, I, I'm still sick that I didn't get to attend that show. That just makes me... Uh, makes me sad. Yes. You know, it's funny. I, I'm scrolling through some of the posts because I think of something and I'm like, oh, you know what? There's something that I, that I remember that I want to mention. And, and then I, and I see some of the posts and some of the things that we did. And I'm thinking, wow, that was, that was July. That was June. It's ridiculous how this year has just become like a completely time irrelevant space <laughs> it's amazing oh this was nice actually on my birthday although i'm sure he didn't know that uh mike o'connor um was replying to to uh, a post that we had had with regards to presumably metal, metal, because he says, I think they made better albums that this one remains my favorite of theirs. Just hit me in life at the right time. Love the range and different types of songs. And he finishes up with, do you guys talk about syncing up echoes with the end of Kubrick's 2001? I wasn't even aware that was a thing, but it hmm. sounds absolutely phenomenal. Totally on board with, uh, with that. I, I haven't, I honestly, I, I, I'm very myopic in the way I approach my music. So I kind of just, you know, do my thing and, and I'm not often aware of some of these sort of mashup ideas that are prevalent on the interwebs. So, but that does sound like really, really good. Later on in May, um, do you remember when we did the, the 1980 desert Island yes. album? That was your idea, Paul. And, yeah. and we had, we had the construct in that of whether we would trade one of these albums for more spam. <laughs> we did. We did. So, so for those of you who are familiar with Monty Python, there is a famous Monty Python sketch around spam specifically. Um, and it involves um, one of their particularly grating female voices. So Mad Barchetta replied to that episode saying, trade great music for more spam to stave off death? Easy decision. And then he says in parentheses, in grating British falsetto voice, I don't like spam! <laughs> yes, Mad Barchetta is uh, my old uh, DJ friend. Well, he's not old, but he's my DJ friend from uh, Millersville University, Dave Ayers. Is that Dave Ayers? Really? That's Dave okay, I was not aware. And uh, yes, also a frequent Stephen Wilson show goer. It's funny. In, uh, in June, uh, Dave Vanderhoof had, had provided a link to, at, on this day in 1967, at Procol Harum, we're at number one in the UK with a whiter shade of pale. The only reason I bring that up is... Back in the day when we were in, in high school, and, and I believe it was in high school, it, Ken and I had this sort of ongoing thing with a whiter shade of pale. And, you know, Ken was always, as we've mentioned on the, on the uh, podcast, Ken was always at the, the cutting edge of music. Mm -hmm. 
And he was always into things that uh, certainly I didn't understand at the time. And, and, and Ken was always very willing to push people into areas where maybe they didn't feel comfortable. So, uh, you know, this was back in the heyday of, of cassette tapes when you could make mixtapes and everything else. And it was, it was in the, you know, the, the heyday of the, the heavy metal phase, you know, boys go through certain developmental phases, at least they did back in the day, you know, as you're young, you play with cars, um, dinosaurs and guns in any various order. And then part of that in, for people of our age was you had to go through a heavy metal phase. It was required. It was. And so me being me and the, the nerdy guy that I am, I had created a, a heavy metal mixtape that captured all of the things that I did not want to buy or source full albums on individual songs. And because I love 25 cent words, I had to name it something clever. And so I came up with Rubiginous Treatise. Ah, yes, I do remember. <laughs> so I had, I had completed the first version or the first volume of Rubiginous Treatise myself. And I was on, I believe, volume two. And I had only had like maybe two thirds of the first side. And I gave it to Ken and I said, Ken, fill this out. <laughs> and one of the first songs on side two of Revisionist Treatise Volume 2 was A Whiter Shade of Pale. And I'm like, Ken, what the fuck is this doing on here? This has nothing to do with heavy metal at all. And he kind of gave me this look. And on Revisionist Treatise Volumes 3 and 4, he gave me on each one of those a cover of A Whiter Shade of Pale and forced me to listen to A Whiter Shade of Pale wow. until I learned to love the song. Wow. So that was just kind of funny that that should show up. That is pretty funny. Uh, uh, one quick offshoot also from the 80s episode, I think, is uh, there's a cat out there named Peter Hilton. And he's not a big, he's not a, he's not a real big uh, Facebook-y guy. Um, I think Peter has a very limited number of folks that he communicates with on Facebook. But we inspired him to create a playlist. And awesome. he's been creating playlists across uh, the, the years of his life that he listens to. And, and so he keeps posting them because I think I literally, I think he does them on iTunes. And I basically said, I, I, I don't know how to work iTunes. I'm a Spotify guy. So he's been posting. Uh, he may hate me for saying this because people may start hitting him up for friend requests on Facebook. And he'll be like, who are these people? Um, but he has been delivering playlists that are outstanding uh, across the uh, the timeline of progressive rock. That's great. I love that. Yeah. So fairly recently, Bob Keeley was on Twitter um, when we were talking about the re-recording of Fly From Here. Huh. And I guess that was in our Yes album ranking, Joe? Or Yes song oh, popped in? One of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, he, he mentions, you know, just to sort of clarify the lore there, that Yes did not really re-record Fly From Here. Horn did record his vocals, and Howland Downs added a little, little here and there, but it is not um, a wholesale recording, re-recording, and certainly not enough to get around legal restrictions on it. Um, he says, um, Horn, as he recalled, Horn wanted to record his vocals partly out of nostalgia, 
he says, but I do agree that it sort of screwed over Benoit in the process. Um, he says, but let's face it. Yes, have shown little remorse over kicking old members to the curb when they are ready to move on. Indeed. Indeed. Jerry McDermott, um, as little as a month ago, maybe just three weeks ago, he posted, Animals is my favorite Pink Floyd album. There, I said it. So apparently that was some sort of a cathartic moment for Jerry. Glad that we could uh, provide him a, a cause for, for getting that out and being able to address that in his life. We are nothing if not a platform for all of our listeners. Well, I, I hope that we're thought-provoking, if nothing else. And then, very recently, um, as a matter of two days ago, Carl PG on Twitter tweeted the following, and so I'm, I'm very thankful for this. Do any of you guys who like good old Prague listen to At Prague Paula, one of my favorite podcasts about music? Highly recommended. Wow. So, Carl, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. And you're, uh, you're, you know, you're very timely because if you had, if you had tweeted that out, you know, a month later, it would have been a year before you would have gotten your shout out. So <laughs> glad, we're, we're very glad that you, uh, you enjoy the, the, uh, the podcast and uh, we hope you keep listening as we move on to new and exciting things here at the end of, of 2020 and into 2021. So I think that's, that covers, you know, my portion of the mailbag, Paul. I don't know uh, if you have anything else on your end. Well, I, 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 I somewhat feel completely disorganized and unprepared for this. Um, Jerry McDermott recently pub posted uh, a message to us and, and shared a YouTube video of a clutching at straws, basically movie. Oh, where someone has basically done three dimensional, um, animation and had basically created a, a, um, a movie um, to uh, to clutching at straws. It looks like uh, it it it's. Well, I, I'm saying that, but it looks like the video is only about uh, 12 minutes long. So I guess it's the. Um, clearly, I haven't watched it yet. Um, <laughs> whoops! But um, it appears to be the first 12 minutes, perhaps. Of, okay, of, those are fantastic 12 minutes. They are. They are. So uh, at that. I'm really excited to talk about the Fish Era Marillion and really dig into some of the lyrics in that. For sure, because we certainly did not do it justice the first first go around. We did not. It's not to say that there aren't a, just a ton of messages and comments that we haven't even gotten to. The, these were just the ones that, that, that we chose. But I think one that's very apropos to end with, at least from the Facebook and and Instagram side of things are is David Bierman. Yes. Last night, this is like only 12 hours ago. He sent us a quick message because he was listening to the final cut episode and he demystified the angels 15 lyric that we talked about. He does indeed. And apparently angels one five refers to aircraft altitude. Yeah. Uh, he said in this case, 15,000 feet. The number after angels indicates the altitude in thousands of feet. He says, additionally, if you had cherubs two, for example, this out this is altitude in hundreds of feet. So cherubs two would be two hundred feet. And now we did. I did not know that, and um, 
you know, it, and and this is this is the kind of feedback that I absolutely love getting from from listeners. You know, because there's a lot of people know a lot more stuff than we do, and so you know, together we can sort of puzzle through this. And I think it's uh, you know, and kudos to to Roger for you know either knowing that or going out and researching that and putting that in there. It adds you know some level of authenticity, I think, to to that totally totally and i and i think you're right I, I i think early on in the in the progressive palaver days i personally may have felt a little bit uh taken aback not knowing things or being called out because my lore was inexperienced or or, uh, or not not what it should be <laughs> but ultimately this experience ha has been a sharing of different stories from all kinds of people from literally all over the world and uh and we get to share things with one another and, and, and educate each other, which has been part of the gem of this whole, whole experience. Absolutely. So again, we encourage you, you, uh, you listeners to keep all of the, um, all of the correspondence coming, even if, you know, we more specifically me, certainly on the email and the Twitter are not the most responsive. Um, it's not that we don't see them and we don't appreciate them. And so please keep them coming. Um, and because it really does, you know, help us as well as, you know, all the friends of the palaver. So we, we, we deeply appreciate it as always and look forward to more podcasts in the future and more correspondence. Paul, as always, thank you for helping out with the mailbag episodes. It's great to sort of go back and, and review these correspondence and, and sort of try to give some of the love back. So I appreciate it. We just got a comment two minutes ago. Should we should we talk about it now? So let's let's do it. Let's do it. With, you know, with with all uh, with all due respect to uh, to David. Um, sorry, you've been supplanted in the in the last uh, comment section. <laughs> Oh my gosh! So um, you might you might find this to be uh, very very interesting. So Brian Morris, who is okay. a, a regular contributor on the comments, he is telling us that he loves the Pink Floyd podcasts, and he says one of the best prog albums ever made by a non-prog band, and that we should consider doing an episode is the Clash masterpiece. Sandinista. Ooh, now interesting. Okay, you know I'm I'm a huge, huge Clash fan. I gravitate more toward London Calling, but I'm I'm interested. Uh, I, that is very very provocative. I like it. There it is. Maybe an episode. Maybe we'll review it on our two hundred. Uh, maybe we will yeah. all right so uh, we um there you go. we're up to date joe we are we are completely up to date we're gonna and you know maybe we'll even get this episode published within you know uh, two weeks who knows <laughs> we do have some other things in the queue but but we always get to these pretty quickly and um as always you know we we welcome your thoughts your comments your feedback and your questions uh, all of the uh source the uh, channels are available to you instagram Twitter and Facebook at Progpala. Search for Progressive Palaver. You can email us. Our email address is progpala at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on hopefully a ever-growing list of sites. 
Um, obviously, the standards, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, but I've been trying to get our RSS into a whole bunch of different platforms, um, including iHeartRadio, Radio.com. Uh, we're trying Pandora um, and some others that are, are hopefully coming up. Stitcher, I believe, we're on or we're trying to get on. So basically, wherever you find your podcasts, hopefully you can find us there. And we'll, you know, and um, we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>